Well, hello and welcome to episode 204 of The Call Room. I'm your host, David Griffiths. Really looking forward to sharing with you today an excellent conversation that we had a couple of weeks ago in our Thursday night Zoom room with James Isaacson from Avenge Brewing. And um, look, right off the bat, I want to thank James for being such an excellent, not just uh, interviewee on the episode today, but also for all of the effort that he put in to making this event possible. Uh, as you'll hear along the way, James uh, has a very, very new baby uh, and who was born during the last sort of month or so. Uh, and not just that, he put enormous efforts into making some time available for us at a busy time, both in the brewery and in his home life, making sure that the beers that we had were tip-top examples of the kinds of things that he brews. So a really genuine shout-out. Uh, he would have been quite within his rights to go, you know what, I'm too busy now, I won't be able to follow up on uh, on coming on the show. He did the opposite. He went above and beyond to be available to us. And so a big shout-out to James. I really hope you enjoy the episode today. Uh, he has a whole lot of interesting stories, both from his uh, non-brewing life and his brewing life to share. So we'll get on with those in a minute, and I really encourage you, if you don't already have the right beers in front of you uh, to experience the podcast, jump onto our Shopify, uh, and you'll be able to grab a six-pack of beers, some really big, fun styles of beer, as you'll hear as we talk about them. And that way, you'll be able to sip them and enjoy the experience all the more. Similarly, if you're already on the online store there grabbing the Avenge beers, look out for the ones that we're going to be having in November. We're going to have Matic Brewing on, Australia's champion small brewery from Queensland. Really looking forward to that chat. Uh, And Escape Brewing as well. So, look, two really fun stories coming up there. Grab those beers online. We can ship them out to you. You can join us live in the Thursday night Zoom room. And with a bit of luck, we will also see you out at the Williamstown Beer Festival. Uh, Really looking forward to the live show out there. We've been out there last year. This year, we're going to do it again. We're going to have an area set aside where we're going to be able to talk to the brewers in front of the live audience. Uh, Should be really good fun. Looking forward to that a whole heap. There's more than just that, of course, coming up in the Zoom room. Uh, we're going to have Adroit Theory joining us in December, all the way from the US. This is going to be a very special one. The packs will be available online soon. The beers are on the waters, on the oceans, making their way to Australia. Really rare opportunity for Australians to talk directly to one of the really fun US brewers. And then just announcing in this podcast right here, right now, that we're going to be again doing our end-of-year fun function out at Hawker's Brewing between Christmas and New Year's. Uh, so make sure you keep an eye on our Facebook page for details about how you can come along and be part of that. Uh, as we know, Mazzy's one of the great talkers and great characters of the Melbourne brewing scene. So here's your opportunity to come out, talk live with him, and listen to us talk about all of the amazing beers that Hawker's produce. And you can do that in the comfort of your own Cool Room T-shirt or hoodie. Can you believe it? Five years, 200-plus episodes in, we've finally got actual T-shirts made. Uh, They're available in the merch section of our online store, a really great way to show off your loyalty and love of the cool room at whatever beer festival or brewery you happen to be sipping delightful beers at. Uh, A great way to help just support the fact that uh, you love the podcast and that you want to hear it continue because all of this stuff takes money. 
believe me, it takes money just receiving liquor licence uh, updates for next year. They're not cheap. And so if you want us to be able to continue to do all of this good, fun stuff, then buying beers or buying T-shirts is a great way to support the show. Thank you to everyone who bought the Avenge Pack. As I say, some really big fun beers in there as we're going to discuss. It's things like that that allow us to do things like this, which is talk to James from Avenge Brewing. Well, hello and welcome to the Cool Room Podcast. It's a Thursday night and we're here in the Zoom room. I've got to say, I have absolutely no idea what episode number this is. I was so focused on getting the numbers right as we headed towards episode 200. And I think we were pretty good about all of that. But we've, uh, we've lost track a little bit since then. And part of the reason we've lost track is because we had an awesome afternoon out at Masterson's Bar just a few days ago uh, as we were joined by Bells Beach Brewing. Uh, we're looking forward to that episode coming out soon. But Mr Warren Wu, you and I were out there. We had a ripper day there. And now we're back in the Zoom room on a Thursday night to be joined by Avenge Brewing. Yeah, this is really exciting. Let's, yeah, we're smashing them out. I have no idea what number we're up to either. Um, <clears throat> and by the end of this podcast, hopefully I'll, I'll yeah, that's not going to get any clearer. Um, I love the, and, and this is the reason why, um, the, both of the beers in front of me are already are around that five, five standard drinks mark. So, um, whoever, whoever came up with the list, um, had our number, uh, the, the, and the other, yeah, it's, so, so the usual warning that we normally suggest that people, uh, who are listening to the podcast can kind of do it at their own mature pace is probably a good idea with this one. Um, although from the smell of the first beer, I don't think it will last very long. Anyway, let's it's delicious. Like yeah, we've got four or five questions before amazing. we talk about the beer in front of us. Yeah. Should I we... can't wait to talk about this beer. Yeah, great. Should we introduce, should we introduce James? Um, should, that would be a good place to start before we dive into the delicious beer that he's, he's uh, arranged for us. But yeah, hi, welcome to the podcast, James. Thanks, Warren. Yeah, and thanks, Dave. Um, so first of all, uh, give us, let's get, get a bit of a background, James. Tell us about you and the brewery and all the, and all the, um, all the fun details before we we dive in. Yeah, sure. So, um, look, I started my brewing journey, uh, yeah, after home brewing for some time at Killis Rockets in Bayswater. Mm-hmm. Uh, this was as COVID was coming to an end in 2021. And once I started Gypsy Brewing there, um, you know, I mean, I'd asked Sean Ryan if I could work at the brewery. And, um, yeah, he did flat out say, no, I, I couldn't work at the brewery. Um, it just, it just straight away, does that nap? You can't. Yeah, pretty much. He was just standing there with his mask on, and but he just said, no, he said, you can't work here. Um, and, and, and that's what makes the home brewing community and the beer community in general so welcoming and enjoyable for everyone <laughs> who's involved. <laughs> that's correct. Yeah, that's right. And he did say, you can gypsy brew. So... Um, yeah, many months went on, and I got myself to a point where I, I could commence gypsy brewing. Um, and at the time, I didn't quite know what I was doing there. So, you know, I got some help from um, Sean and Chris, the assistant brewer, um, to do our first beer, which was a West Coast IPA. Um, 
Mm-hmm. So, yeah, since then, uh, I completed my work placement there studying microbrewing, and, which is just a cert for eight. And uh, now at least I'm at the point where I'm independent, uh, you know, brewing my own beer with my own manufacturer's license with ATO. So it's, um, yeah, been a, about a two-year journey to this point today. And we're already getting onto taxation law, which next to local government discussions um, is questions. what we're all about here in the podcast. Got, got any questions about um, excise or the remission or anything to do ATO? I'm happy to answer questions to the best of my ability. Genuinely, so many questions, and genuinely, if for some reason the episode you're listening to is the first episode of the podcast you've ever listened to, go back and check out the previous 200 and something episodes for more discussions about tax law and local yeah, government municipal planning. <laughs> That's a way to kill anyone ever going back and checking out the, the archives. But they should, because, like, especially episode 92, where we, where we had Killer Sprocket on... Oh, good work, Warren. Yeah, yeah. They, they, they should check them out. How are the guys there? How are they doing? Are they, um, yeah, is, what's news with them while we're, while we're on the topic? Oh, look, um, they're busy. Uh, they're also moving to a new venue down the road uh, in Baronia. So, oh, right. I don't think I knew that. Yeah, yeah. Um, We've got our scoop early the, tonight. They mm. are, yeah. So they've got a, yeah, they've got a tap room there now at the moment. And, um, I don't know when it's all going to happen. You'd have to ask Sean. Maybe he can come on and do another podcast. Absolutely. <laughs> We're up for that. Yeah. yeah. Um, <clears throat> okay, should we talk about the beer? Should we talk about Hella Dank now? Because, yeah, it's 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 a good well, time. Well, the, the only other question I was going to put in there first, Warren, just to sort oh. of set the scene a little bit, yeah, good was call, the name yeah. of the brewery, which oh, I well, thought that yeah. might be a good <laughs> one to sort of... <laughs> deal with early. I mean, that's why I wrote it into the question shed early, Warren, but don't worry, that's do your, oh, do your yeah. thing, mate. Um, because hopefully that gives us a bit of a feel for where you come from and I guess a bit of a feel for what the brewery is doing. So, Avenge, is it just an a incapacity to spell or is there a reason why five-letter Avenge is a thing? Oh, right. No, that's a, you bring up a really good point and I did pass Year 12 English. Um, Excellent. So, yeah, I, uh, I thought, you know what, um, Back, you know, 10 years ago, um, for my graph street art days, um, it was a tag that I used to use, and I thought to myself, well, you know, I want to be able to combine, like, my artistic side with the beer, so why not use that tag that I'm sure no one else is using as a brewery name in Australia um, to do this? So, um, you know, many other people have got... Yeah, anyway, different names for their breweries, and I just figured it's something that's unique but also ties back to um, when I used to do, like, a lot of artwork, and, you know, it's sort of a linkage back to that, um, but with the beer. Tell us a bit, you know, set the scene for us a bit. You know, Mr Warren Wu is our street art expert here, but Melbourne's got a really killer street art scene and has had for a long time. And obviously, we're a craft beer podcast, not a street art podcast, but just give us a bit of a flavour for what that was like and I guess what your art was like because I guess that's going to help inform the beers. And we're going to come back to this at the end and talk about the the labels and stuff that we're dealing with. 
Yeah, sure. So, um, look, I mean, I had a few exhibitions. Like, I had one at Art Boy Gallery in Bran, which I think is shut down. Uh, and then up in Darwin, I had a few exhibitions. And everything was, like, almost like a social commentary or, you know, like a bit of a satire on, um, how do you put it, um, just on, how do you put it, like, basically it was just like a, a lot of it was like tongue-in-cheek um, type artwork, uh, which was like a little bit ridiculous, um, and it was all like stencil work as well. So, in terms of what I'm doing with labels here, um, trying to sort of do a few things which are a bit different and, um, I don't know, like just taking the piss out of stuff really. So, yeah, I was taking the piss out of stuff doing that. Um, in terms of screen artwork, and I guess now I'm sort of doing a similar thing with some of these cans. Um, yeah, just having some fun with it. So that's awesome. We love our can design discussions. We'd definitely come back to that. So <laughs> if you're listening in, as I genuinely think many people will be listening to this podcast to talk sort of can design and art and stuff, we will definitely get back to the lot, that along the way. But Mr. Warren, you quite rightly say, let's talk about the stuff that's in the can because, well. The, the hella dank that I'm drinking at the moment, it's magnificent. Mm. Thanks, guys. And that, Mr. Warren, is your cue. Yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> so, so double IPA. Um, mm-hmm. uh, lots and, like, there's a... Tell us about the hops. Tell us about the... the oh, no, let's, let's do a little bit of a tasting tour. Um, as the name suggests, it's it's... It's really hot forward. Like there's a ton of there's a ton of stuff going on the nose, and it also has all those uh, those grassy vegetal notes as well. Um, yeah, tell us a little bit about about what's behind the idea, and maybe a little bit of a tasting as well, and what we should be what we should be getting from this. Yeah, sure. So there is a little bit of rye malt um, as a specialty malt in the malt mm-hmm. bill. Uh, so I wanted to have it a little bit spicy. Um, and in terms of the hops, well, I just wanted to do a beer which was pretty dank. Mm -hmm. Um, hence the strata, uh, and the mosaic. Yep. Um, yeah, look, I was using Simcoe also mixing it with Apollo hops, uh, in the dry hop, uh, various, various iterations of this beer. Um, so the idea was to do like, yeah, really big, really, really, really big dry hop, a yep. really big uh, Whirlpool edition, and just try and get this thing like as dank as I wanted it. Um, and that's really just the beer. I mean, there's not much more to it than that. So it's got a bit of medium crystal malts, uh, some yeah. high malts, and mm. um, it's just a base um, American ale malt. So nothing too crazy in terms of specialty malts. Um, but yeah, working, it's interesting, right? You do these beers and you do it once and you think, oh, I could probably do it a bit better. So then you do it again and you think of other ways you could enhance it. Um, figured I'd give this one the version three stamp yeah. um, with my um, extra strata stamp as well on the front of the can. And look, that's just the idea behind it is just do a, like a hella dank, like a very dank beer. Yeah. Um, can I ask this might this might seem like a silly question, and we've got you'll recognise some of the people who are in the Zoom room here with us on Thursday night, and you'll know there's some 
and I say this with love, beer nerds, they know exactly what dank means. But for someone who's bought the pack, sitting at home somewhere and tasting this beer, what does dank mean to you? It's one of those words that gets thrown around a bit. What sort of flavours should people be getting for dank as opposed to, say, other styles of IPAs that they might be familiar with? Sure. So they'll be getting like a sort of like a resiny, piney type mm. aroma and flavour. That's what I'm aiming for. So that would be like the dank aspect, you know. Yep. Um, yeah. Yeah, no, that makes perfect sense. And so it's that sort of pininess. It's yeah. almost... It almost feels sticky in your mouth, although obviously it's got the same kind of yeah. <laughs> uh, the same kind of liquid as any other. But it's that sort of mouthfeel that comes from beers like this, sort of yeah. what dank means for mm. a lot of us. Yeah, and I've been told that it drinks pretty easily for an eight percent beer as well. Yeah, um, yeah which is good. So. And, um, I love that, that you use crystal malts, and this ties back to our previous podcast uh, with Bell's Beach Brewing, where they uh-huh. they absolutely don't. That's like that's their that's one they they won't use oh. their most recent uh, or their West Coast. It's a West Coast IPA. It's not a double IPA. But they didn't. But I kind of like that it, it gives it like a little bit more of a syrupy character i think along mm. with the rye i like the spiciness of the rye how it interplays with that kind of the 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 bitterness that that amount of of um hop addition will, will naturally give i think it's yeah I, it's 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 definitely double it is no, definitely dank. thanks warren and i'll just add to that as well um there is some mosaic in the whirlpool um, mm. and in the dry hop but not a whole lot so, you know, it's, yeah, the medium crystal, I find it works pretty well, this beer. Um, and if you really want to talk about the ingredients, the yeast uh, that we use is uh, a Vedant um, yeast by Lullabarn's Brewing, which um, So let's, pre- it, let's pretend it, that the hosts of the podcast don't know what that means. <laughs> oh, sorry. <laughs> but also, again, let's explain, because what we, what we love doing on this show is explain to people who might be mm. experiencing some of these beers for the first time, and not everyone's had an 8% beer yeah. uh, like this. You know, and we want yeah, to share why we love it. Yeah, and we no, want to give Warren the opportunity to say interplays again, because that's almost my highlight of the night already. <laughs> Um, yeah, the, the Vedant's IPA, IPA yeast, uh, by Lomance, it's, um, like it sort of just gives a bit of like a tropical and citrus flavour. Um, so I guess I was hoping that using this yeast, I could just make it, just taste, uh, have a bit more sort of full, um, maybe almost like a little bit fruity if I could, because it's quite hot forward. So, um, and it's really good quality yeast as well, so... Where do you get it? Like, I'm not being... Where, where do you oh, get it? Oh, that's all right. Oh, um, from a, a supplier. Mm-hmm. Kicking up so it's, but it's not an Australian-based yeast or anything like that, so you import this in dry form or...? Oh, this, this yeast uh, is imported, yeah, and it's sold via suppliers uh, in Australia. Yeah, it's, it's a pretty popular brand, yeah. So it's, it's a bit more on the expensive side when you're buying dry yeast. And um, Corey, in the questions here the reason to join oh, us live on a thursday so, night yeah. is uh is that you get to type your questions in and so obviously we'll get audience questions later on but i think Corey asks you know an important question we've sort of asked similar things along the way uh, Corey asks is it this the same as drinking two four percent beers but put it a different way 
if you're doing the recipe for this, is it simply doubling a normal IPA recipe or for people who are home brewing at home, how do you sort of up the ampage to, to get to an 8% beer? Is it just a straight doubling or you've got to do special things to make sure that the flavours work? All right. So that's a really good question. Um, Thanks, Corey. I, look, I only brewed this beer once at home. I kind of remember how close the recipe at home is to a commercial version of it. Mm-hmm. I mean, you're going from 19 litres to uh, 1,500, 1,800 yep. in the tank, so, uh, which means you're double batching, so you're brewing once, and then you're brewing again um, out of a, like a 1,000 or 1,200 litre uh, kettle. So in the recipe, scaling it up, you, you essentially you're sticking with the same ratio of like all your base malts, and then you're just trying to stick with the same IBUs for your hop additions. Hmm. Um, it's all you're really doing in terms of scaling it up from doing it at home to brewery. But making it 8%, you are using probably like a bit, you use a slightly bigger malt bill um, in the brewery just to make sure that you hit your gravities um, and then you can adjust and you, know, you can dilute a bit if you need to to get that correct starting gravity. Um, the higher ABV beers at times, you know, it can help to use some dextrose, um, which is a sugar, um, mm-hmm. as a late boil addition, and that will bump up your gravity a little bit. can dry the beer out a bit. So I think there's a fine line between using uh, adjuncts like dextrose to bump up your ABV um, without drying out the beer too much. Um, so, yeah, look. Mm-hmm. You're just using a, a bigger malt bill um, to bump up your initial starting gravity um, mm-hmm. and then using a good quality yeast and the correct um, temperatures to ferment and to then get that gravity down. Um, and it's also good to do with your mashing temperatures as well. So you want to mash at uh, the correct temperature for that yeast row. Um, and all of this is um, it's a fair bit of work and it's yeah. Yeah, there's a lot to be mindful of on Bruto. Um, and there's a lot of things that can also go wrong. So even just going in and being able to put out like a 2,000 litre batch of beer, yeah. there's a lot of work that goes into it. And it's, um, yeah, it can be interesting at times, um, but that's half the fun. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, <clears throat> so let's say everything goes right on brew day and you've mm-hmm. got this beer. Um and and I kind of am going back to where uh, something you brought up a little bit earlier. Uh, so this is an iteration of something you brewed before. Mm-hmm. Looking at this, are there things that you pick out that you say, hmm, I would change this for the next one? Mm-hmm. And what are they? Like, what, where, where is yeah. your head at with this and, and where is it going, I suppose, is is the other part to that question. Uh, specifically to this beer or all beers? No, no, this beer, I suppose. Okay. Yeah, specifically yeah. to this one. Let's start with this one, but we definitely want to hear about, about your your other pursuits. Yeah. But let's start with this one. Yeah, no, not a problem. So um, it's really all down to marketing. So yep. if I go and do a beer once yep. it's successful, like, say, this Hella Dank, yep. and then I go back to, um, you know, our customers, Mm-hmm. And I say, oh, hey, I've got this beer again. I've brewed another batch and, you know, I'm ready to sell it. I want to take some pre-orders from yep. venues. And they'll say, well, we've already had this beer before. Look, it moved well. But yep. we, if we buy it again, we may not sell it all because um, consumers are quite um, 
you know, if they want to have something different, they don't want to buy the same beer over and over again. Yeah, um, yeah. And I think back to my time as well, going to a bottle shop and choosing yeah. craft beers. Uh, very rarely am I buying the same thing over and over again. I'm always looking yeah. for the next new thing. Mm-hmm. So if you think about customers looking for the next new thing, um, it makes sense to then perhaps treat this beer as like a pseudo core range where okay. we have uh, multiple iterations of the same beer, but it changes a bit. Yeah. Um, and it does change a bit. Like this beer has changed a little bit with some of the ingredients in terms of hops mm-hmm. and base malts, but it's generally the same. It's just mo- a modified version. Yeah. So, yeah, why am I doing this? It's so I can sell more beer. Um, and it's <laughs> yeah. also so that I can refine um, my brewing techniques mm-hmm. and just try and make this like the best it can be. Okay. Um, and I guess it's like playing an instrument, right? Like you play guitar or bass or yeah. whatever you play. Mm-hmm. You can always get better at it. Yeah. Um, yeah. You, you never perfect it. So, yep. and I guess that's part of the fun of doing it is that you're continuously learning. So, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so very good. Um, Corey, always insightful comments, but we can all and we always Ooh, yeah. try to insight. Like, so is there seasonal variation? Is there is part Ooh. of it just coping with with uh, if you would when you do this again? Um, is there an element where you're you're kind of uh, you are you were trying to make something consistent? Ooh. Or are you going for seasonal variation and, and celebrating the difference? I'll probably go for more of a seasonal variation. Yep. Um, I know that we'll probably talk about this a bit later on, but um, this beer, it's not really a core beer. Um, yeah. For, so it's, it's, yeah. it's essentially a seasonal variation yep. uh, in a way. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. And I do see another question here from Jane about the packaged and best before dates. Yeah. Yep. So, and that, so... Just a quick rundown about that. We found at the brewery that um, look at times we just have a few. Um, sometimes up the date stamper, it would miss the bottom of the can. Yeah, so it happens can so packed. much. Yeah, yeah. And, and I and I noticed this. It's, it's a it's a quality thing, right? So it's a QA thing. And I thought about well, how can I just keep things a bit more consistent? Um, so there's there's two things. It was moving from using a labeling machine to put labels on the can coupled with a date code stamper to um, getting pre-printed cans. Yep. And then I simply put the dates um, onto the can because I ordered these cans three to five weeks ahead of packaging date. Uh-huh. So there's no additional expense. Uh, I mean, I'm doing all the artwork for these cans and then I'm setting it off as, as a proof to East Coast Canning, for example. Um, so, yeah, in terms of printing the date on the bottom of the can, um, I, I just found it's more consistent this way. Um, but we, we've done both as well. So we've had the date on the bottom of the can and the date printed. Um, I just do that. And then at least then I know it's 100% every can and every customer that buys the beer has got a best before date and a package date on it. So, <laughs> can I jump in there? And we're going to move on to the zero dark hour in a minute. But Thanks, Joe. Prob- Probably not a bad time just to talk about, it's, you know, we often talk to breweries. The best breweries are the ones who pull the beers and sort of, you know, or at least try to say to their customers, this is how we want you to be drinking them. Mm. Listeners who get in this pack will have a seventh beer, which is the sour in the pack, but it's 
because you probably weren't 100% in love with the the Cloud Nine. Can we just talk about that? Yeah. And I mean, yeah, sure. part of the reason for that is because when I was trying to find the the best before on the bottom of it, it's exactly the kind of scenario you were talking about. Yeah, that's right. In my head. That's right. So, and I, um, I've got to say, this is my first time attempting a hazy beer, and I guess there's a reason why I've waited almost two years to do one, because, um, yeah, they do have a shorter shelf life, um, depending on how they're packaged into cans. Um, there's quite a few variables at play, but what I put down to with the hazy is that the ingress of oxygen only takes a really small amount, I'm talking in the parts per, parts per million uh, of oxygen to get into your beer, and it can essentially oxidise the beer. So what I found with this hazy IPA is that the kegs are fine, and they're still pouring, not a problem, um, but the cans, um, due to the what we believe is the carbonation level not being as high as what it probably should have been prior to packaging, uh, there was a greater chance of oxygen ingress uh, during the packaging process using the canning machine. As the first time I've ever done a hazy, and I've been packaging beers now on that same machine for two years now, and I haven't had a single problem with this. So, um, yeah, it is a lessons learnt thing for me where doing a hazy, uh, you want to be cognizant of your packaging and um, your, yeah, your, your basically your SOPs for processing, uh, packaging a hazy into cans, uh, just give that chance of, you know, the smallest amount of oxygen uh, can spoil the beer after like four to eight weeks. Um, it still tastes like an IPA and people are reviewing it on untapped, giving it four stars, like five stars. People on Instagram have told me they love it and they send me photos of it and I'm looking at thinking, oh man, that's oxidized. <laughs> like, can I mean, we just I, talk I, about Anyway, yeah, so I'm not afraid. And I've, you know, people who've said, hey, you know, something fault, we think there's a fault with this beer, um, I've just offered them a refund. Um, it's the best I can do. So, you know, and then talking to the venues about it and just being open and transparent about it. So the... I, I've had a good run until now. Um, haven't had any issues. <laughs> but, so um, yeah. We've got to say in a couple of hundred episodes, this Thanks, year, your, your attitude is is right. So being able to, to fix a problem is absolutely mm. the right attitude to have. Mm. Thanks. Um, I, I find it interesting. So for people who, are, who mm. have the can and feel, I'd be interested in you just talking quickly, probably about probably the colour and how it appears is part of the, the initial thing that probably didn't sit right with you. Maybe some of the flavours that the oxidisation actually changes. So for people who have the beer in front of them, just to sort of go, actually, you know, I was, I don't know, looking for something f super fruity and it came out, I guess, a bit tangy on the front of the tongue if we were going on sort of wine talk. But also I really want to throw in that I can distinctly remember when we were talking to Sierra Nevada from California one time, that they'd spent two years trying to nail their hazy technique before mm. they put a hazy into the market because of mm. how hard it is to do. Like, it is such a difficult product to make as a shelf-stable product. Mm. Mm. And can I just add, um, I was in the US in December visiting a bunch of breweries in California and Kentucky, and most of the breweries over there have a dissolved oxygen meter um, and they are like so anal retentive about it. Um, mm. But, you know, now 
in hindsight, I think about, you know, there's a reason for that. It's quality control. And um, I also, I met Vinny from Russian River and um, I got to tour his brewery um, in Windsor, in California, which is cool. And he said to me, his trip to Australia, his last trip, he was surprised at the amount of um, oxidized beers being sold. Yeah, right. <laughs> so, yeah, and that, that was coming from Vinny, who runs the yeah. River. So, um, yeah, there you go. I guess I'm part of the problem now. So, so again, just for people who are listening at home, first first time sort of listen, tasting craft beers, not even necessarily in reference to, to this one, but... What makes an oxidised beer obviously oxidised? Because I sent you a photo and you went, yeah, no, it's not what I want. Mm. Colour? Um, Flavour? Yeah, well, um, explain, explain the colour. Like, yeah, give yeah. us a bit of it, you know. Yeah, you wanted sure. something bright and yellow, I guess? Yeah, that's right, bright and yellow. So the colour turns more like a sort of brown. Um, the the flavours are muted. You, you get a bit of, like, sometimes you might get wet cardboard. or um, And I don't think the hazy's got that at the moment. But... Um, it's certainly, I think, until you have a beer, you try them side by side. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, but, yeah, definitely colour, appearance, uh, and then the aroma kind of goes, um, yeah, the flavour's quite muted, a bit tangy, uh, bitter. Um, you can get things of cardboard. Uh, everything you don't want, being like a hazy. Yeah. Um, it was never meant to be a juice train of a beer. Um, mm. It's not a neeper. Um, but yeah, there you go. Uh, that's the best way I can describe it. Yeah, good. I think it's just important. Yeah. Again, for me, I never knew what a bad wine was going back to when I first started drinking wine until okay. someone actually said, this wine is bad, it's corked, but taste it, as opposed to going, this wine is bad, it's not what I like, and mm. don't taste it. It's like, it's actually, mm. you don't learn until you get the comparison of one mm. to the other. Um, Having said that, let's go to some positives. Yeah. Let's go to zero dang hour, Mr. Warren. Um, I'm just going to throw straight to James. So it's yeah. So what you you, you clearly love big hoppy beers. Um, and I've just stolen the question that we <laughs> didn't ask from the previous one. And I'm just going to adapt a little bit. So how does that work with a stout? How, where does that where does that expression go? What happens with it when we're and and yeah, keeping in mind while we're tasting tasting this little number mm-hmm. or big number. Well, um, this stout, um, you know, this stout. I, I've been inspired to brew this stout. Um, first of all, last from last year, having done a American stout, mm. uh, which was my interpretation of a Sierra Nevada stout. Um, which I'd had, you know, many, many, many years ago, first uh, travelling out to the US to visit my in-laws back in 2013. And, yeah, it's essentially like a... It's not quite a black IPA. Um, It's not a... It's double. It's not quite a Russian imperial stout, but it's sort of... um, It's basically like a full-bodied... Like, it's a bit more of a full-bodied, like a... American type of stout with two of the C hops, which are Cascade, uh, sorry, Centennial and Chinook. And it's got like a lot of roasted malts. Um, it's got hints of like dark chocolates, espresso, mm. coffee beans. 
and um, it's quite hot forward. So it's quite assertive in terms of the IBUs. Um, yeah, people mistake it for like a black IPA, um, but I think it's got too much body and too much roasty character for a black IPA. So that's the one there, yeah. Um, now, Jane is right to, Jane in our audience is right to question if I have jumped to beer three <laughs> and completely missed beer two, but that's not the case. I am, I am on track. Oh, and that reminds me, since you mentioned uh, beer three, we often like to give our podcast listeners, our audience, the chance to also um, let the beers warm up if it's appropriate. Just So something like the next beer, which is the coffee stout, we're, we're, we're eyeing off on the horizon. Um, yeah. Should we suggest our listeners pull that out of their fridge and let Absolutely. Uh, yeah. Yeah. yeah, let that kind of uh, warm up just a little bit and and um, and go crack it when it's at its full full glory. It's an excellent suggestion, Warren. You, you're in charge of the podcast for thirty seconds while I run to my fridge. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, no, that's, that's a it's a really good idea. So yeah, with the coffee stout, absolutely, um, you can let it warm up just like a little bit. Um, yeah. That's a good idea. Yeah. Um. So. With this, yeah, it's a really, this is a really lovely stout. Where, I suppose, in a lot of ways, I think a lot of the audiences, a lot of the beer drinking, craft beer drinking audience is quite tired of really sweet styles mm-hmm. of stout. And this is very much not that. It's It's really, it's got a ton of, like, Potentially sweet characters, but it's it's it it has this really lovely dryness, which is Moorish, I suppose, in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. Um, is that is that a conscious thing? Like, we, I haven't tried I haven't tried the the uh, full bean jacket, which we're about to, and that could just blow my my uh, my <laughs> any thoughts that I'm currently having about where you want a style to go. Yeah, that that might blow that out of the water. But is that something you 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 prefer? Is that a style you prefer? The more that that drier, um, kind of more, I suppose, a little bit brutal character. More yeah, me- absolutely. Um, look, I do, and I mean, I, I used to think the the yellow Cooper stout was mm-hmm. like the, the be all and end all of stouts. Um, that is a very underrated, delicious stout. It is. Yeah, yeah. it's actually quite good. Um, and, yeah, to, to be able to replicate, like, just to be able to do a stout, which, you know, for me, um, it's got, like, a lot of um, the characteristics of, like, a, like a Russian Imperial w- without being one in terms of ABV. Mm-hmm. Um, especially something with, um, you know, some roasty notes using lots of roast barley, um, flaked oats. Uh, dark chocolate malt, um, dark crystal. Yep. Uh, look, I, I find all those work really well together for this type of style. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yep. and uh, the American hops, of course, the Chinook um, and the Centennial, um, you know, they're your classic sort of UC hops, which are um, pretty old-school hops, but they're quite piney and bitter. And, um, yeah, they work really well together for this type of beer, a bit yeah. of an American style. Did you... When you were home brewing, Ooh. was this also the direction that you'd prefer to 
grew in? Like, was this where you, you, it was it very much along these, well, like, was that an audition for what you would see as a commercial thing? Or did you, or did you have a different, uh, like, frame of mind when you were homebrewing? When I was homebrewing during COVID, uh, just doing it out of sort of sheer, to just do something else at home, um, I was really just trying to wrap my head around how do you brew a beer. Mm. Um, And in terms of beer styles, uh, look, I really wanted to do a coffee stout. So I brewed a stout and then I got some cold brew Mm. and I got a mason jar and then I tipped it into fermenter. And it tasted terrible. And even my, <laughs> my old man, he said, "Oh, James." He said, "I, I this is yeah." He didn't want to, you know, put put it down, but he just said, yeah, "This is not really that great." Um, so I was I was just trying a few different, yeah, trying a few different styles, um, like doing a Cooper's Pale. Um, I tried to do a Corona, <laughs> which tasted terrible. Uh, yeah, and even IPAs and trying to do that out of like a plastic bucket from BW. Yeah. With like a, work, like a little work kit. Mm, um, tastes like Big W. Using, using tap water and um, yeast, which is on the bottom of the lid in like a little yeah. packet, far out there. Um, but no, I don't never, I didn't think I had any sort of direction in terms of where I was going with doing the styles. Yeah. So, um, I guess going into the commercial space and then like now that I sell product, I'm probably just a bit more methodic, uh, method, methodical, no. Yeah, yeah. Methodical, methodical. Oh, no, now I've lost yeah. it. <laughs> David, I stepped back yeah. from that conversation. <laughs> you never seen David move away from a microphone like <laughs> Yeah, but no, be, being a bit more methodical about like, my approach with these beers that I'm, you know, brewing and, thinking about what will sell, but also what do I like, what will other people like. So there's um, never a direction to yeah, do these sort of beers on this home brewing night. Uh, I'm about to invent a new word, methodical. Mm. Oh, I think right. we've almost got there. Oh, hang on. It's partly mythology and partly a really good method. Or a really good method, but a really good... Uh, Methodology. So methodology. Thank you. <laughs> um. So, how did you find your way to kill a sprocket? That's the other interest. Yeah, to oh. brewing a killer sprocket. Yeah. Where, sure, where I can tell you that. So yeah. I um got in contact with them through a gentleman by the name of Mark Store, who mm-hmm. runs the Grape and Grain in Moorabbin. Oh yeah. yeah. At the time, he was running the Point of Difference bottle shop in Mitcham up the road from my house. So I would go in there and talk about beer with him and talk about Star Wars, and he, he would always laugh at all the pastry stouts I was buying And while we were in lockdown. And um, he rang me up um, sometime after I moved from Mitcham, and he said, hey, I've talked to um, Doug, who's sales rep at Killers Rocket. Mm. And um, we love our Doug, yeah, yeah, friend of, yeah. Friend of the podcast, and, yep, yeah. And uh, I love Doug, he's a great guy. And um, yeah, Mark said, Hey, look, if you want to try and get into brewing, um, go and speak to Sean at Killers Rocket. So that's how I got in touch with Sean, and that's how I ended up driving there and you know, walking in and getting shot down, um, because I wanted <laughs> to try and brew some beer there. 
So, um, and then from there on in, yeah, that's how I ended up, um, you know, going into a bit of a sublease agreement and um, getting the keys to the brewery, which it's quite surprised that he trusted me with the keys to the brewery. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, I think it took about a year to give them to me. <laughs> That's um, pretty good. I think yeah. I don't know if I'd give over the keys to a brewery to anyone within Yeah. You. Yeah. So Warren cool. still hasn't let me into his house and we've been for years now. <laughs> it was my friends for like how long? Two hundred and twenty yeah. something episodes. Yeah, and um so that's how it all unfolded. So there you go. Wow, that's great. Thanks. Can I ask, and my apologies if I was sort of sneaking out the back along the way here and I missed the, the answer to this question, but going back to the very beginnings about those sort of beers that inspired you, can you remember the first craft beer that you had? Oh, have yeah. we asked this question, Warren, or have I missed No, 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 perfect, yeah. So, so you know, like your beer journey before we even got into the home brewing, yeah, was sure. there a beer that sort of goes, oh, it was like, oh, that's a beer I love that's better than the generic CUB sort of thing yeah. that you oh, it's a good question and I guess two parts in Australia the first beer what probably would have been just something as simple as like a little creatures uh pale or yeah. like um you know Cooper's um stout um but probably like little creatures might be one that comes to mind yeah. it's going back a while ago now uh, it's it's then, all comparative, brother. Normally, like the last yeah. few episodes, we've been talking about like mountain goat back in the sort of the mid nineties. So, yeah. you know, I imagine you were, you know, bees knees, bees knees. Oh well. yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, that yeah. was. I think I put that up as one of my. Yeah, yeah. 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 And, 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 and drinking, and you think, wow, what is this? This isn't Carlton Draft. Yeah, yeah it's different. Um, yeah. <laughs> and then in the US, um, going to San Francisco for the first time. Um, while I was in a long-distance relationship with my wife at the time, she took me to a bunch of breweries around the Bay Area. So yeah. we went to Buffalo Bills, um, their home of the original pumpkin ale. Um, so, you know, having a pumpkin ale there was fantastic. Yeah. And uh, also Shop Top over there, which is um, it's like an orange-flavoured um, hef. Um, yeah, right. Again, I hadn't really quite had things like that before or um so yeah it was a bit of an eye-opener going over there especially so mm. yeah it's um and that was going back to 2013 uh, yeah 2013 so and did you get the feels years. then that you wanted to be involved in the industry or no i, I wish was, I was there a magic moment where you actually went <laughs> yeah what you know what we were actually you know what i really want to do this oh yeah well, that didn't really happen until 2020 um, to be honest with you. So, um, yeah, I always had a bit of an appreciation for craft beer, but I just never thought I could do it. And um, then I decided I wanted to do it. So, and um, it's been a pretty, you know, interesting journey since then. But it's been a good journey. Yeah, I mean, so that's what yeah. our listeners love because we have so many listeners who have exactly yeah. that sort of bit about how you find that moment where you go, you know, mm. I'm, I'm not just talking about it after a couple of pints at the pub. Mm. I'm really doing it. And was that mm. sort of bit where you woke up in the morning and you went, oh, you know what, what I said last night, I've actually got to follow through on some of this. I'm actually, I'm actually going to drive to kill a sprocket. I'm just not talking about yeah. it kind of thing. Yeah, no, look, it's, um, I would say, like, I, yeah, after talking to Mark um, and him mentioning Doug and, 
yeah, I was quite apprehensive to drive up there and talk to Sean because I, I don't know, didn't know these people. And, you know, I'm walking into someone's workplace mm. and I'm a completely unknown. Um, so I've got to say, look, it felt a little bit, yeah, it was like a little bit intimidating. But um, look, Sean and, you know, Chris and everyone at the brewery were, you know, very, very good to deal with and still are. Um, and what I found in the beer industry is that there's not really a whole lot of gatekeeping. So, like, in a lot of even mm. myself and other Gypsy Brewing peers, we all talk to each other. We've done collaboration beers together. Uh, we're always offering advice and help if needed, um, which is a great thing about this industry. It's probably what's kept me going is um, all the people that I've been involved with. Uh, and it's from, you know, like, my rep um, up in Brisbane, my rep here in Vic, uh, and all of the venues that we service, and then all the suppliers and everyone else that's involved, uh, down to you guys who run the podcast and um, everyone who, you know, reviews the beers on social media, which I really appreciate. So, yeah, it's cool. It's a great sort of... And a lot of work. <laughs> um, you know, for people who are looking to go down that same path, is there something you'd say, like, you know, if you were going to walk in to kill Sprocket again for the first mm. time, what should you have had tucked under your arm or what do you reckon you would have had that had sort of engaged in that little bit more than going, no, absolutely not, which um, isn't a bad answer either. Oh, yeah. Look, I've got some good hindsight. So in a nutshell, um, if you're going to do it, if you want to, say, do any sort of like formal contract with Gypsy Brewing, uh, besides doing all your, you know, your homework and your research and getting yourself ready to do it, um, from like a liquor licensing perspective and operating as a sole trader or as a company. Oh, we love, we love that kind of... We're back into legal talk. I love it. Yes. <laughs> I've been Boy, Warren's not... nodded off, but I've got excited. <laughs> um, but it would be to... Yes, once you've performed all your due diligence with all that, uh, it would be to not be afraid to start off big uh, and don't make the mistake I made, and that is start off brewing small amounts, selling it all out, then having to brew again because um, you get stuck in this perpetual cycle where you just don't really have any stock to now service the people that you're trying to service with your product. So what's, what's words, a small amount in those contexts? I mean, 50, that's sort of, this is 60. sort of the question. Once oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You're yeah. Like, some people go, oh, fuck, a small amount must be 50 litres or 500 litres or 5,000 mm -hmm. litres. Um, look, I would... So it's all economies of scale, right? So the, the more you brew, the, the greater your, the better your, the better your profit margin will be. But you need to be selling that amount as well consistently to keep that cash flow going. So a small amount would be, as far as I'm concerned, it's anything under like two thousand liters, um, packet uh, like in the tank. So we're talking anything under doing one hundred and twelve cases and like nineteen twenty kegs per batch. Um, you just, yeah, you're just sort of spinning your wheels. Uh, but to get to that point to be moving that much product all the time, you need to have the customer base. You've got to have a lot of things in place. And trying to do that as a small operator, doing all your own deliveries, doing ad hoc small amounts of beer, you just you might as well just save the money and, I don't know, save it. <laughs> 
So yeah, I'd say yeah, don't avoid my mistake, and that is just doing like fifty cases at a time, five four kegs, because yeah, it's, it's very expensive. So mm. it's yeah. all about economies of scale, as the economists would say. But it's it's a genuine thing, isn't it? That by the time you booked out the time or booked mm-hmm. it. yep, and it's a question of what is your time worth, um, and you do need to ask for help as well. I try to do everything myself and you can only do it for so long and now having a young family, this is no way I could be out on the road all the time visiting venues, yeah. trying to draw up sales. So I'm fortunate I was able to do that for the last two years <laughs> before getting some help with reps. Um, but yeah, well, we could talk about this all night, So, but I don't want to. Oh, no, but I mean, but in one sense, and let's talk about the positives of that, which is yeah. how much fun is it to be on the road with your own beer? I mean... Sure, there must be a bit of a thrill about some of that kind of stuff to walk in and go, you know, hi, I've, I've got my own beer, I designed the labels, yeah, thank you. here I am. Oh, yeah, it's it's great. Well, it's great. I think it's – I do enjoy being able to put out a product which people also enjoy, yeah. and it's just great to be able to do something like that. I guess it would be similar to if you, you know, ran a food stand or a kitchen and people came in and, you know, they really enjoyed your food. Um, so yeah, it's a pretty similar type of feeling. So it's nice, you know. Um, yeah, definitely when I started doing this, I just wanted to also ensure that everyone I deal with, I treat the way I want to be treated back. Um, and that I'm very transparent, very honest. And, um, yeah, you know, like I do the right thing by all my customers, all my suppliers, the breweries I deal with. Um, that's also very important. So, yeah. We're really conscious that when we, we often say you've got family commitments, you yeah. have super family commitments. But we might ask uh, for one well, more question, then we'll have a quick break, and then we'll yeah. come back to talk about the last beer in the lineup. But it just seems like the right time to ask one of our favourite cool room questions, which is if and when you move from gypsy brewing to having your own brewery. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Is there a bit of kit you really want? Like, we, mm. we know all the basics, but is there one little gizmo? Is there one little gadget? Is there one little thing you've seen at a brewery somewhere over there on the west coast of the US that you think, truth, that'd be nice to have over here in an Australian brewery? Um, did you want to answer that question for me? I think you probably could, but I'll, I'll go and I'll answer it. Um, it'd definitely be a dissolved oxygen meter. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, like an Anton Parr C-Box, um, yeah, which is a very expensive piece of kit. Um, yeah. yeah, this is, the, this is yeah. you've won the tats and you... Oh, cool, yeah, then I have, I have one, yeah, absolutely, and I'd be running that thing all the time. And you'd have that before sort of various, like before things that just sort of, you know, got <laughs> clarified your beer in different ways before other bits, that's the one? Yeah, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. Because if I can combat oxygen ingress... Um, fuck, that's like half the battle um, from a quality perspective. So, you know, we don't want to be putting out products that are faulty ever. Uh, and I know I'm not the only one. Uh, and I'm not, mm. I'm, I won't mention other brewer or operators with their products, but I, I've, I've done the same thing. I've got in touch with people and said, hey, this beer is like the can's about to explode. And, um, and then I've also seen it happen. So um, many things can go wrong, but, yeah, we want to ensure that we do everything it's, we it's, can do. 
It's a question we ask out loud because, like, some people say we want a centrifuge. Some people say we want a hop yeah. Some people say yeah. it's just really interesting to see how. Table. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I love that, Phil, but yeah, that's awesome. <laughs> Pinball machine. Foosball, that, yeah. <laughs> uh, and can I say, James has just chucked into the chat there, the, the old pinball machine. I was at the Cherry Tree last night. They've got the WrestleMania oh. pinball table. I couldn't be happier. That's, you know, yes. That was David's happy place, I've got to say. <laughs> a couple of people who used to run breweries in Melbourne who don't anymore, and that was mm. even more fun. Um, I reckon let's just press pause for a minute or two here, refresh our glasses, James, if you need to go and make sure everything in the house is under control. And yes. then let's <laughs> come back and enjoy the full bean jacket and um, wrap up from there. Well, here we are. We're back. We're back with the second half of our interview with James from Avenge Brewing. We're here listening to the kind of untapped reviews you can get. Uh, I have enormous respect for people who spend their time doing <laughs> untapped reviews. I have even more respect for brewers who delve into that because I know what my own personal Twitter feed looks like and how much <laughs> abuse there is and that kind of stuff. It's great to hear that there are positive outcomes from this. And I actually am really fascinated to hear about how the full bean jacket has been reviewed. Mr. Warren Wu, can I rely on you, please, if you're not frozen? No, you're not frozen. No, no I'm good. No, I'm good. No, I'm not frozen. No. Let's kick us off. Let's have this conversation about this yeah, coffee let's... stout. And let's not tell my wife that I'm drinking coffee stout at 8 o'clock on a Thursday night. <laughs> my, my wife, by the way, she did say it to me after we packaged it because I had some short films that were home. Mm. Uh, babe, there's coffee in that. Yeah, I know. It, it's, it's like 9 o'clock at night. Yep. Yeah, we, anyway. <laughs> when this is exactly... Yep. What is, I mean, you, you are obviously a young married couple with a young, you know, a young child. And mm. even when you get to my age, you still have the same conversation with your wife about coffee stouts. That mm. might be the thing. Yeah, that's what links us all, though. Didn't you know? That's the, that's the bond that we're all. Um, it could well be the final conversation I ever have with my wife is that, you know, I'll go to bed going, it's okay, love. I've had a coffee stout. I know I'm 85, but it's okay. <laughs> she'll wake up next to a cold, dead guy. But I will have gone out happy if it tastes like this. Um, oh, yeah. So let's go. Um, we've, the great thing about the, the, the kind of drinking the beers like this is we can look at two beers like the Zero Dark Hour and the Full Bean Jacket kind of side by side because we can kind of see them um, as they are. They're obviously like, so I'm, I'm gonna, I was, cause I was going to paraphrase Dave's first question that he's, he's written for us, but I'm actually just going to split it up a bit. So looking at these two beers, they're obviously completely different beasts. Are there, is there anything similar between the two? Uh, do, do they start out as the same Thing and evolve into two different products. Is there anything, or are these just two completely different beasts? Uh, so the full bean jacket is more of like a thinner bodied breakfast stout mm-hmm. um, with uh, more oats in it mm-hmm. versus the double American. Uh, and it has 
uh, a whole lot of um, concentrated cold brew. Let me rephrase that. It's got a whole lot of cold brew concentrate in it. Okay. So, um, yeah, slightly different techniques in terms of, you know, you're mashing in at certain temperatures um, and your malt bills. Mm-hmm. Uh, both stouts, but, yeah, one's more of a breakfast-leaning stout than the other one. Um, that would be the main difference. So, you know, lower ABV as well, but body's a little bit thinner for the yeah. full bean jacket. What is cold brew concentrate? Ah. Uh, that is what baristas use when they just want to smash out a whole lot of cold brew without actually having to go through the process. <laughs> yes, yeah. So, is that right, Warren Wu? Because you once yeah. ran some cafes. And yeah, but I, I was in. Uh, this was this was in a generation before the third wave. So this was before people. This is all, all the coffee I made mm-hmm. came straight out of an Italian oh. uh, boiler, whereas. Yeah, nowadays yeah. there's millions of ways to make coffee. It's it's great. Yeah, the concentrate it just um, comes in like a fifteen liter cube, mm-hmm. um, and yeah, you just simply anyway. There's a way to get it into the fermenter w- without any oxygen ingress. No, oh, yeah. um, and in terms of working out the ratios, uh, we just winged it. Um, <laughs> I didn't really have a way of really. So I, I tried it at home, but it wasn't really. It was hard to sort of gauge what it was going to be like on a more commercial level. So we just had to sort of keep adding it. And as we're adding this concentrate, I kept on um, saying to John from Aussie Veterans Coffee, who provided the concentrate for the beer, that I didn't think there was enough cold brew in it. And then I even had my rep in Vic go into the brewery and taste it because I wasn't convinced there was enough coffee in the stout. (laughs) And everyone's telling me, no, no, it's fine, it's fine. You just... Don't worry about it. But um, I didn't want to put out a coffee stout, which didn't taste like coffee. Hmm. Um, and it was keeping me up at night. I couldn't sleep. Um, so it was the, it lack, was of co- <laughs> the lack of coffee was keeping you up at night. Yes. There's, <laughs> there's the T-shirt. There's the quote. We've done it. <laughs> um, yeah, and I'm just talking around about this coffee stout. So we, anyway, so we went into the brewery a couple of times during fermentation. And we mm. added a bit more concentrate. And then I want to add a bit more, and then I'm getting told, oh, look, maybe just hold back. You don't want to put in too much. Yep. So this thing doesn't become an overly bitter white stout. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think in the end, we, we put in just enough, which I think all up was 20, 21 litres of concentrate. Yep. Um, and, yeah, once the beer was carbonated, you know, and packaged, it tasted fine. So I think if we added any more concentrate cold brew for this Thing, it would have been too much. So, yeah. I think as a as a black coffee drinker, I think it's delicious. I think it, Thank you. yeah, it's, it walks that line really well between a stout and. Oh, like, that's still holding up because um, it was packaged a while ago. So um, I haven't had it. I haven't had it for about three months. Mm-hmm. Four months. No, still... So yeah, I'm interested to hear your thoughts on what it's. If you still t- taste the coffee, do you get any aroma? Oh, the coffee. Have, I get the coffee up front on the palate, maybe not uh-huh. on the nose, but certainly yeah. on the palate. Sort of. Yeah, and I can talk to you, I'll talk to that as well. So um, when you do a coffee stout, as I found out, is that if you want to have more of that coffee aroma, you, you, you employ a technique called dry beaning, which is like dry hopping, 
uh, and you take your coffee beans and you simply put them in like a muesli bag or however you want to do it. Yeah. You, you dump it in the fermenter like a traditional dry hop um, and that imparts uh, a whole lot of coffee aroma but not a whole lot of um, flavour. So mm. what I did was I just added the concentrate just to get that flavour going yep. um, and also thinking about it from a fault perspective, we don't want to introduce any microorganisms like any sort of bacteria or any microorganisms from beans into a fermented wort. So make sure everything is sanitized as much as possible. So um, I just, yeah, I had to forego the dry beaning um, mm -hmm. and I just went with the cold brew concentrate. I figured I'd rather have the flavor there right when you drink it yep. um, on the back end. Um, some people do a mismatch, uh, sorry, a match. Yeah. Some people, they will do a bit of a 50-50 split. So they'll do dry bean and the concentrate. You get best, best of both worlds. Okay. Yeah. So. Hmm. Can I ask a little bit, because one of the things that we often talk about when we talk about coffee or other nuts and beans and things when they get added is the fact they sort of thin the head. The head on this stands up really well. So it's, it's a nice and creamy head on. Oh, is it? Good. Yeah, for me, absolutely. Oh, fantastic. Yeah, that means it was packaged correctly. <laughs> but that is a challenge, isn't it? Like that's a... Mm. Often when you add things like coffee beans... Adjuncts, yeah. Mm. Yeah, yeah, you're, you're right. So, um, yeah, this one, we... Um, in terms of the malt bill, it's got... A, I used a wheat, like a wheat malt by Gladfield Malt, um, which is a New Zealand maltzer called um, Eclipse Wheat. And it has like a lot of espresso coffee characteristics mm -hmm. from the way they kill the malt. Um, so I used a bit of that, and I used about 4% of it. I think they recommend no more than five. Um, so I had that going for me, plus um, some dark chocolate malt, which has also got hints of coffee. And then I also added the um, cold brew concentrate. So trying to utilize, you know, my ingredients on the malt side as much as possible to impart that flavor and then the cold brew concentrate is just to give it that extra oomph um yeah um so we've we've got two stouts in the lineup today is it a particular style that you're you're attracted to making is it something that you enjoy uh, particularly doing oh yeah it is um i mean i have Lots of other beers as well. Um, some of them are seasonal, which aren't in circulation right now. So, um, yeah, stouts are very near and dear to me. Um, but, yeah, we could have probably done some other beers as well, actually. But that's okay. Uh, we I mean, there's others in the pack. So we've got yeah, there's others in the, the pack. pack. Yeah, we're, we've everyone gets things. the... Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and that's yeah. the kind of thing, I mean, so... For people who are, you know, listening to the podcast version, if you're not joining us live in the Zoom room on a Thursday night, you miss out on the opportunity to talk about all the beers in the pack because what you're getting is a little subsection mm -hmm. of the wonderful beers that we get from brewers like Avenge, mm -hmm. uh, like a passion fruit sour. And that might sound like an introduction to talk about that. We're not going to talk about it. You have to be oh, here in the okay. Zoom room to do so. When we, when we stop pressing record... That's what we're going to talk about that after that. Oh. Mm. Not a problem. Um, we got to talk a little bit about can art. We should 
have that discussion because it's an important part of what you do and it's like a really fascinating part of what you do. Um, David, how about I throw in the cool room question and then we do the can art discussion? Sounds excellent. And we've got a few audience questions. Yeah, great. Morphed away along the time we've been working here. Corey may have to inherit Philbert's question if Phil isn't back. Back from having dinner. Um, So, all right, traditional cool room question, James. Uh, What is the most confronting, strange, amusing, uh, horrific charcoal thing you've seen in a cool room? Um, And, of course, we're, we're quite broad when we say cool room. So... Beer or hospitality uh, environment. Well, <laughs> I love uh, it when people laugh like that. Yeah. And then they worry that the, the, the stories are going to be too violent for our podcast. But that's never the case. You, so. You're never going to outdo the worst of them, I think it's fair to say. Yeah. If your brewery's got a legal team, maybe you should reconsider the, the uh, industry that you're working in. Maybe you should stick to being like a share registry service. <laughs> Oh, that's, oh, that's nasty. Yeah. I should, and all the people who work there are really lovely. It's okay, Warren. I'll edit that out. Don't oh, worry. Oh, great. Yeah, thank you. Yeah. And in terms of cool room, I mean, I can, I'll give you so I'll give you a cool room specific example, mm-hmm. and I'll give you one which is not so much cool room, but it's beer related. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So I we're visiting a brewery in Lexington end of last year in Kentucky, and the. Went to this massive call room with the head brewer at Pivot Brewing, and um, a mate who's a rep for hops over there was just chatting to him, and they were going to get some. Um, he was going to grab this like little, like a 20, 30 litre keg to give to my mate. He said, I'll just get it, it's just in the call room. So we opened up this massive call room, and this keg's all stacked so many that you can't, you can barely even, you can't even walk in, you have to sort of start. So he starts climbing. And we asked him, should we follow you? He's like, no. He goes, oh, I got it. All good. And then he sort of climbs over kegs. He goes, I just got to climb over the kegs to get to the keg at the, the rear of the call room. Hmm. It's just an odd thing. Um, I've never seen so many kegs in the call room. But, um, yeah, he just climbed over them and they were moving around and just sort of I took a photo. And um, he got to the other end and then had to try and get his keg back. And it was just... I don't know, I've never seen a call room so full of kegs. It was really, you couldn't. Well, he had to, yeah, it's like, you know, in um, the castle, how I'm yeah. going to move the Toronto to get the, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I had to move yeah. the Carlisle's and the double yeah. IPAs to get to. They just, they had a lot of beer, yeah. Um, did you, did you feel funny. it was organised? Did you feel like that someone who wasn't that bloke could actually find the right keg? Or was it literally know. that he knew, oh, he knew like my was, desk, yeah. like I know what strata of paper that's in? Mm. Yeah. yeah, so, and then um, going to an unrelated call room moment um, just sort of burnt into my mind. Um, we had a, we had a yeah, there was a venue that had a bit of a party, and, you know, one of our beers were on tap with some other beers. And they had, like, lots of people there and we're all, you know, like, just trying all different beers and everyone's having a good time and there's a band playing and we're all sort of standing around chatting and people are dancing and I see, like, an older gentleman and he's dancing around, he's having a really good time. And then um, my wife says to one of her friends, oh, look at the man dancing 
And um, unfortunately, like he, you know, signed himself while dancing to the music. Oof. And this was it goes good back music? to. Oh, it was pretty good. Um, but this, it goes back to, you know, I had this discussion with a few people about RSA and responsible service of alcohol. And, you know, should venues be offering up 10 I thought RSA in, in pints glasses? Is um, that what RSA stands <laughs> for? I thought RSA stood for responsible soiling of apparel. <laughs> That's a good one. <laughs> yeah. uh, I worked yeah. hard for that line, can I say? <laughs> yeah, so um, and since we've been back to that venue, like, we won't sit on that couch. Um, God, no. No, they had to clean it up, yeah. So, um, it's I a sign everyone... of faith you've gone back to the actual venue, can I say? Oh, absolutely. It's a great venue. <laughs> yeah, they can't. A venue can never help its um, patrons. Yeah. No. It's like the Collingwood Football Club. They can't help their patrons. Yeah, well, they could just shut down. <laughs> um, but I don't have any other... No, no, no. You, you, you've got a couple of very good mentions in there. Very good. Yeah. Yeah. Climbing over kegs. Yeah. Big shout out to... Keg, yeah. Yeah. yeah Big shout right. out to the Hardymans in Kensington about climbing over kegs. From Those the, guys. Warren Wu, not from me as a... <laughs> they, well, I, dropped a off, actually, I dropped off a keg to a um, joint in uh, North Melbourne. Mm-hmm. And this is what I was doing my own deliveries. And their call room was actually like a, almost like a basement cellar. So yep. maybe not a call room per se. Ah, yeah, just a cellar. Like yeah, an old school. So mm. what would you call that? It's just Proper a cellar, room. like a cellar, yeah. Well, yeah. Yeah, yeah. 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 So, I, yeah, I reckon. I think we know the venue. <laughs> I reckon I've got a sense of it, Yeah. <laughs> Like, yeah, it's like the Hardman's you pushed your keg into the cellar and it landed on the big old back, like those plastic oh, yeah. bags. Yeah, yeah, I used to, yeah. I mean, but it's how you operate at beer festivals. Like, we did Adelaide Beer Barbecue Fest yep. and uh, all the kegs are just ambient um, and you've got glycol hooked up. Oh, yeah. And yep. you just, the pour's fine. So, yep. As long as yeah. you get it through, as long as you've got enough throughput, then... Yeah. Yeah, there's... I, I, I think I'd prefer a cooled... Stored keg, but if I'm looking forward to the editing of this because I reckon I'm going to edit the glycol room. Oh, I like that. 